Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Before we get started today, I wanted to bring on a close, dear friend of the podcast. It's been four years since we spoke. You were one of my first guests on the Spent the Rent podcast. Santa, are you there? Oh, Patrick, is that you? Santa, I wanted to bring you back on. It's that time of the year again. You're going to be bringing joy to the residents of Lane County at the Valley River Center starting on November 19th. So this last year has been extremely challenging, and I'm hearing that there's a supply chain issue. Is that going to affect what's happening coming from the North Pole? Well, thank goodness I have several thousands of elves that are helping out with FedEx and USPS and and all all the different uh, extra people that are helping me out. Oh my goodness, if it weren't for those elves, I don't know what I would do. But we're backlogged, but we'll try to make it work. So yeah, November 19th, you'll be back at the Valley River Center. How many years has it been now that you'll be uh, at Valley River? Oh my goodness, I've been doing that for 10 years now and hopefully it'll keep on going that I can stop by. Santa, it's awesome to catch up with you and you have a happy holiday. Okay, thank you so much, Patrick. Uh, you you keep being on that good list, buddy. Now, hey, those back molars still need brushing, buddy. <laughs> That's a fact. Merry Christmas, Santa. Merry Christmas to you, too. <laughs> Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is affordable housing advocate, Kevin Cronin. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. This is really short notice. I had a guest planned and uh, because of scheduling conflicts, we had to cancel. And so we started talking about this last night. And so I really appreciate you doing this on short notice. It's great to meet you. We do have a lot of friends uh, in the different kinds of work we do. I'm a Democratic Party uh precinct committee person i think you work with the dplc as well is that true yeah i've been involved with the dplc for about uh, over a decade that's that's awesome i have seen you popping up on different you know meetings that i attend i need to get better about it i've been taking a little bit of a hiatus but 2022 is going to be a big big year for politics locally and nationally and the democrats need a lot of help and so I'll be doing a little bit more work than I have in the past. That's at least my goal. We'll see if I actually follow through with it. I'm really bad about it. But being on, you know, the host of this podcast is great because I've been able to network and meet people like yourself and then also learn so much about local government. So this is really what I wanted to talk to you today about. The area of expertise for you is affordable housing. And so we were going to talk about a few things in our area that 
you know, are troubling and some of the major uh, things that are that are popping up. The two areas that you wanted to talk about were renters assistance and the moratorium on foreclosures. So let's start with renters assistance. The Oregon Housing and Community Services uh, put a pause on renters assistance. What does that mean and how does that affect our community? So uh, starting December 1st, Oregon Housing and Community Services, which is the state agency uh, that deals with uh, a variety of aspects of affordable housing in Oregon, um, they're going to stop accepting new applications for rent assistance. That means that uh, they have allocated their funding for um, towards folks that need assistance for they've allocated all of their federal funding essentially. So it hasn't necessarily been paid out, but it has been earmarked so that everyone who does apply will get assistance. Um, and they want to make sure that they're hitting the pause button so that they can process and catch up. And so that they can look at how much do they have left. And I think that they'll reopen it, but it'll probably be like a one day or a two day thing later. Wow. Um, so that's, so for the people that can't apply, is it where they, I mean, how does this work? I know nothing. So, so, you know, act as if I'm an eighth grader that no offense to eighth graders. So with this program, what is it, what is somebody that needs assistance, you know, with COVID that say that, and this is basically directly toward, you know, due to COVID, correct? Or is that right? So you're eligible to apply if you have lost income or had increased expenses related to COVID-19. Um, if you're behind on your rent or utilities and you need help to pay those next month um, and your income is below 80% area median income. So uh, for our, for Lane County, that's, that's about 3,300 a month. Um, and then, so if you make less than that um, and you're behind on your rent due to COVID, um, you, you should apply for rent assistance. And you can do that by going to OERAP. Uh, .oregon.gov, and that's the portal. I um, mean, it takes about five minutes to apply online. And so until it's, what is the date when they're actually not allowing any more applications? Uh, starting on December 1st. So yeah, apply after Thanksgiving dinner, apply right now. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's tough because I think a lot of people think that, oh, you know, COVID's over, which is wrong, first of all. Second of all, they think, well, there's a ton of jobs. That does not mean that there's not people falling through the cracks, you know, and that's that's the whole issue with this. There's so many areas of our economy that are still affected tremendously. And and so there's still a huge need for help. Do you know the number of people that have applied up to date roughly? I mean, I, I don't know the number of people that have applied up to date, but uh, we're talking two hundred and sixty seven million dollars. Yeah. Um, that has been allocated for rent assistance right. um, from our state. And um, we're one of the top states to actually allocate this money. Um, other states across the country are tripping over themselves to even collect applications for rent assistance. Right. So we might be slow on getting money out the door, but we uh, were above other states and, other, and lots of metrics. Sure. And that's the thing. It's like, this is nuanced. I mean, there's, there's tough things about it where it's like, well, there's so many people applying, obviously the number we may not have, but it's a lot, you know, and yet there's still the having to put a freeze on it. Uh, 
what does somebody do if if they're in that position after December first and they can't apply? Are they kind of SOL? Where you said like you know if the money's coming for next month, if you need it for next month, they're basically kind of like right now we're not able to help. Or you you kind of kick it. Yeah. Down so uh, applying for from the state is 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 not going to be available after December first, but there are a number of other um options available so for instance in lane county the county government has set up rent assistance funds and that i think that was due to the hard work of folks at the springfield eugene tenant association they very early called on county leaders to set up a, a fund for rent assistance then later the state set up their own funding and then the feds came in with a truckload of money to help get those programs going so um after the state is done with their resources there will be some county resources still available and so you can call county government um and and get and and apply um but we don't know how long those funds are going to last and so um you can call them by calling 541-682-3776 um and and get signed up for county assistance after december 1st but that might be two weeks, it might be a month. Um, previous iterations of the county opening up their rent assistance program, they've opened it and shut it in, in 45 minutes or less. And that was in the very early days of COVID. So uh, we don't know yet. Yeah. I want to talk about the foreclosure moratorium. But before I do, you know, renters and, and, and homeowners, different set of issues. Renters will find themselves on the streets a lot faster, you know, in a lot of situations. Foreclosing on a home is a little bit more difficult. So I want to talk before we get to the foreclosure part about what what made you individually so passionate about this this issue. I mean, number one, obvious is that housing in in Lane County is the number one issue. But for, for you personally, what is it that it's obvious that you're passionate about this? So what is it that kind of made you passionate about it? Um, so I, I've been a renter in Lane County, still am a renter in Lane County, uh, since I moved here to attend the University of Oregon, um, which I, I transferred in in 2010. And in 2011, I was no cause evicted from my house. Uh, it resulted in a brief, uh, homeless experience for myself. Um, and we, we, you know, a lot of renters find themselves homeless after, uh, they experienced a no cause eviction. Um, and then later, uh, in 2015, my landlord decided to remodel our entire apartment complex, which resulted in another no cause eviction for me. And then after that, my landlord passed away, uh, and the family sold the house and that resulted in another no cause eviction for me. Yeah. So I made it my mission to end no cause evictions and, you know, worked on House Bill 2004 in 2017 and then later Senate Bill 608 in 2019. Um, And we finally banned no cause evictions. And so um, those lived experiences really got me involved in uh, tenant activism. Uh, I helped co-found the Springfield Eugene Tenant Association um, I went to work for Homes for Good, which is our county's housing authority. 
Um, and now I work in the development space with a, a statewide organization representing nonprofit developers. Yeah, that's that's really cool. You know, it's interesting with government because there's two ways you can go with things. You can have a personal experience that you're like, I had to go through this. You got to go through this. <laughs> or you can have the attitude that tends to be a leftist attitude that I share. It sounds like you have this where you can be like, I want to make sure this never happens to anyone else, you know, and you can take your your lived experience and sometimes you don't have to live it to understand and be empathetic, you know? Well, thanks for sharing that personally. I probably should ask that first so that we could know exactly who we're talking to. I assume sometimes people just know, you know. Uh, now let's talk about foreclosures. Foreclosure moratorium update. Uh, Kate Brown extended it through December 31st. So what does that mean? I mean, what does a moratorium on foreclosures look like? So... A moratorium on foreclosures means that the bank can't start the foreclosure proceedings. Foreclosure proceedings um, take about four months. So um, they can't even start until January 1st. So you wouldn't really see someone be foreclosed on and be removed from their home until about April, given that timeline. Um, and so the national foreclosure ended in July. And we've seen um, this happen in a bunch of other states. Uh, some banks have decided to just forgive folks and add the mortgage payments on to the end of their mortgage, uh, which I think is a really good method for keeping things affordable for people. Um, it extends their loan. They have to pay more interest. Which but is totally, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's great though. I mean, that's what, go ahead. But it doesn't... Uh, uh, really hit the monthly budget as hard because it's really hard for uh, low and moderate income people to catch up. Um, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck and they don't have a, a safety net. Yeah. Foreclosures. My mom went through that during the recession in 2009 and it devastated. I mean, I, that was the first time I had heard. She was like, well, I have the income, but I'm barely coming up short on my bills. So she's like, I've decided to foreclose on my home and it's going to take this long process. But in order for it to happen, I have to get so far behind. And it was like breaking her brain because she was she was somebody that paid her bills, you know. And so f people find themselves in these positions where they're like, I have the money. But then if I do that, I don't have food. You know, so it was like you're right there in that margin where you're close and oh, it was a nightmare. And it ultimately kind of killed her. I mean, she died three years after because of just just stress levels were so high. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't explain that. But, yeah, I, I've seen it happen to her, how the stress of foreclosure to something that where she was working hard, you know, and then she lost her job and then blah, 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 trickles down. But, yeah, for so, many Americans, the. Owning a home is like the, their single largest asset. Yeah. And so when you when you lose that and you you it, it has a psychological effect and um it, it really affects people and negatively and um is not good for our our markets. Yeah, and that's that's the big that's the big thing that I think people forget is that when somebody loses their you know, their space that they're renting and then, or somebody loses the home that they've, they are buying, uh, that they foreclose on it. It doesn't just have that person on the street and that's the end of it. You know, that's the end of the social issue. It's this whole huge effect. I mean, we have, we see the homelessness, but people don't want to think about causation and all of the different effects that it can have on every area of life. 
<laughs> you know, you know, I mean, there's so much of this and, and with COVID now our hospitals are overran. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like a, a whole different issue with COVID people don't, they're like, Oh, it's over. And I'm like, no, it's not. The reason we're still wearing masks in Oregon is because our hospitals are still overran, you know? And so there's just so many effects that, that people can't even fathom when it comes to this stuff. So it's just so, so important. So, yeah, I mean, for people that are foreclosed or in the position of, of uh, maybe f- about to foreclose on their homes, where do they turn? So we actually don't know how to apply for foreclosure assistance yet. Um, Oregon Housing and Community Services, uh, the same state agency we just talked about, um, they're going through their procurement process um, so that they can get community partners to accept applications uh, for foreclosure assistance. My hope is that they turn to trusted and true folks like uh, 211 um, and some of the partners that have done a really good job with the rent assistance program, getting money out the door uh, to, to be their partners with the foreclosure assistance. Um, one thing to note is that most mortgage servicers, they have to tell you about repayment or other options when they reach out to you to start the foreclosure process. So uh, that's required by the Consumer uh, Finance Protection Bureau. Um, and so it's really important to, to remember that uh, if someone's reaching out to you, you can ask them for their options. Right. I know that during the pandemic, when we were shut down for two months, I my car loan, I was able to call the bank and credit union and just tell them, like, I can't make a payment this month. They're like, okay. And they were very polite. And so there's things that people can do. So I think that anybody that's struggling with finances, especially as we come into the holiday season, because of COVID, the effects of COVID have been felt by so many, if not everyone, then just know that sometimes you can just reach out. You know, you could call your, if you have a car loan, you can call them. And like you had said before about, uh, some of the uh, mortgages, you can tack it onto the end of your loan. It's you're going to have to pay more interest, but that's you can kick that can down the road and and get a little bit of a forbearance on that loan. And so there's different ways to get help. And then obviously, if your you know electricity is being sh- you know threatened to be shut down, there's there's assistance there and there's programs. And the, we got that good tool of Google. There's ways to find that stuff. So we're going to change gears a little bit. I want to talk about the infrastructure bill first, and then we're going to talk about Build Back Better. So the infrastructure bill, Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill was just passed into law. So this is ma- this is monumental, uh, something that's been talked about for decades doing, and it's finally done. I'm sure that it's watered down from what was first proposed, but that's how things work. So it's $1.2 trillion total. And I wrote down some notes about what this is going to mean for Oregon specifically. So Oregon uh, is going to have $1.2 billion for transportation and roads. 200 million for transit and then ODOT, which is the Oregon Department of Transportation, they anticipate $50 million for electric vehicle charging, $40 million for safety improvements, $30 million for bike and pedestrian improvements, uh, and then also $100 million for statewide broadband connectivity for people. There's 130,000 Oregonians without internet. That's insane. Like I just said before, if you need help, whether it's your phone or not, it, you cannot you cannot get help in these in these times without the internet you know and you can't really function in society without it i know people get through but it's not easy but then the big thing that's that's going to be created and i know republicans will appreciate this <laughs> with the uh, bipartisan biden infrastructure bill i call it the biden one because he deserves credit 
is jobs. You know, this is going to create a ton of jobs all across the country, especially we'll see it in Oregon. They're saying that it's going to start up in summer, that we'll start seeing some of these jobs created, you know, working on roads and and, and all the things I just mentioned. So what's your take on this infrastructure bill? I think that this infrastructure bill is a historic investment in in America. Um, When we talk about highway money, we're talking, uh, I saw a figure that was 3.4 billion over, over 10 years. And, you know, that's approximately half of the entire state budget for one year. So like, that's a big number, um, you know, and we need to invest in, in, you know, EV charging stations. We're not going to go electric until we, we have the infrastructure there. And, um, you know, I, I, this is huge for, especially for folks like uh, that highway money is going to be a big boom for uh, jobs, particularly like Wayuna, uh, the the Laborers International Union. Um, those are the guys that are flagging on, on the highway construction and stuff. And like, that's a great entry level position that is security for your family. And like those jobs are going to be open and they're going to be recruiting and they're going to, you know, and so that's, that's what I see yeah. from this, from this bill. Yeah. And I mean, the reason I keep calling it Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill, I said this before, but I mean, he deserves a lot of credit on this because I mean, Mitch McConnell <laughs> voted in favor of this. So when people try to twist it politically and act like, oh my gosh, he's pushing all this progressive craziness, this socialism, you can slap that down. That narrative is nonsense because the reality is, is that the socialism, the, the social, democratic socialist wing of the party has been kind of ignored and, and in a lot of ways. And we're going to talk about that with Build Back Better, which is good. But you had mentioned how we're not going to get electric vehicle charging or we're not going to get uh, to electric vehicles until there's a way to do it. And there, this, the climate change progress is happening way too slow you know, the legislation, because we are running out of time. I've talked to a climate scientist from the university that says that human beings have 60 years left. That's one of the models that he's done. 60 years. And that's not like we're just going to wake up in 60 years and things will be bad. No, they're going to be progressively terrible. You know, and yeah. so so I don't think people understand the urgency. So I have my criticisms of what's happening. But I, as far as the political two-party system that we unfortunately are still stuck in, Biden deserves a ton of credit for this. So when, when in 2022, when they try to talk about all this communism, which is just absolute nonsense when it's said, but when they try to say, oh, this commun, you know, these commies, which they don't know what that means. And they try to criticize the Democrats. I want them to understand Biden took the leadership with this to push a bill that Republicans agreed to sign off on a lot agreed on. And this is going to be monumental for our country. So that, you know, We'll see. I mean, of course, it's not going to be perfect, but let's talk about the Build Back Better. The bill, it's a, for me, it's a terrible slogan, but Democrats are great at that. Build Back Better. Uh, Biden, this is his project. This is what he ran on. It passed the House, but I feel like this isn't the first time. I don't watch the news every night because of my blood pressure, uh, but so I'm not exactly sure. Do you think that this has a chance to pass the Senate? Before you answer that, let me talk about what's in it. It would help to fight climate change. It would provide paid family leave, universal pre-K, healthcare spending, and affordable housing. One of the things that Jeff Merkley, which is the senator from Oregon, he tweeted that it would 
provide a cap on insulin treatments of $35. So that's just one example. But what that means is that that would give, you know, I mean, healthcare costs, medicine costs are just through the roof. And there's literally people that don't want us to be able to negotiate prices, which is insanity. So there's things in this bill that are supposed to help with things like that. Do you think that it has a chance to pass the Senate? I, I certainly do. I, I, I think that I'm an optimist. Um, when, it, when it passed the House, we were afraid of a, a bunch of different defections. I'll take our local example here of Kirk Schrader. And it wasn't until hours before the bill was he a yes vote. And he tweeted that he was going to vote yes on Build Back Better um, Thursday evening. And so my hope is that we can get uh, everyone, all of the Democrats to vote yes for this, including Cinema and, and Mansion. It's going to be good for their constituents. Yeah. And ultimately, constituents matter the most when it comes to electoral politics. Yeah. it's This is the one, the infrastructure bill was popular, you know, on both sides of the aisle. And it's going to be popular, like you had mentioned, with the, I don't want to, stereotype but the type of people that are going to be working some of these jobs working on the roads they're not voting democrat (laughs) you know what i'm saying like a lot of them i mean there's going to be the thing is is that these government jobs will not discriminate they will hire good workers you can believe what you want that's america you know that's what we're founded on but there's going to be the infrastructure bill is going to be bipartisan this build back better bill is going to be fought by the republicans because there's a lot of progressive stuff they don't want to fight climate change they want to act like it's not a problem because they have you know the energy companies are in their pockets they don't want family paid leave because they're wealthy aristocrats <laughs> you know they don't care you know uh, they, like they like we had talked about before it's like there's different uh, ideologies you can either be like i've struggled i don't want people to have to struggle a lot of people they worked hard to get to where they are so they're like you should have to work hard well the cards are stacked differently today than they were in the past So there's just going to be a lot of pushback on this. And because it's an election year and a very important election year, they're not, they're going to use it as a, if it passes, they're going to be like this bill passed, even though it could be helping people, they'll be like this bill passed. We need to get these people out. And then we'll go in this vicious cycle of going the pendulum swinging back and forth. And that's what we're all about. It sucks. But I don't know. I'm worried about it. And, and I haven't read a ton about it because at this point, I don't like to read too much on proposed bills because I've seen them be proposed and then not pass. So I just kind of wait till it's done. And then the infighting can happen with the people we elected to fight over it. You know, <laughs> you know, and I, I know that there's a lot of criticisms from uh, the progressive wing of the party the AOCs and the squad and whatnot. And, and they're not I don't even think they voted in support of it at first, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see. And I could be, I don't keep up on it completely, but yeah, we'll see. What do you think is the most important thing in there? I mean, okay, let's, let's take climate change out. Cause that's the answer is climate change. <laughs> but what is, what is the most important thing in, in build back better for you? I know affordable housing is something that you're passionate about. Yeah. So for me, the top three are, it's good for, it's good on uh, affordable housing, good on health care, and good for families with children. Um, so let's let's take it one by one. So for housing, we're talking about more money for the, the Section 8 program. Um, in Lane County, uh, our housing authority got 
uh, significantly more vouchers from the coronavirus relief bill and that was targeted to uh, victims of domestic violence and people that are uh, you know in danger of losing their their current place at, uh, for ongoing rent assistance um, and so we'll see more vouchers hit the streets uh, as a result of build back better and vouchers are permanent rent assistance not this one-time rent assistance if you're behind on your rent it's ongoing rent assistance. Um, we're gonna see money for capital improvements to public housing. A lot of our public housing stock is very, very old. I know I used to be the leasing agent for all of our public housing here in Lee County, and it needs significant capital um, investment. Um, and then the third thing that it does is it gets money for the housing trust fund, and that's new development. That's the biggest, uh, influx of cash for the housing trust fund that's ever been proposed. I mean, it's been watered down a little bit from where we started with Build Back Better, um, but it still is the single largest investment in money for new housing development. And I'm really excited about that in particular. Yeah, that's huge. So we'll hope. So everybody pay attention. And, you know, this is going to be talked about ad nauseum soon. I'm hearing good things. I hear that there's a lot of optimism that it can pass through the Senate, uh, Manchin has fought a lot of this stuff. He's been the kind of public face about it. And Cinema, nobody knows what Cinema's thinking ever. So I did see that she was wearing a denim vest and that got on the news, which is so stupid. Uh, it's stupid that it was newsworthy. <laughs> People were upset that she was wearing denim on, on the floor of the Senate. We live in a weird, weird, weird world. I'm going to uh, play a little ad spot and then we're going to talk about the division in the country and the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. The Spent the Rent podcast is sponsored by Oregon Cashflow Pro, featuring Wealthcare Wednesdays, the live stream, a Q&A on all things finance. Go to OregonCashflowPro.com to find out more. More wealth, less debt, fast at Oregon Cashflow Pro. So the division in the country uh, is something that I always feel the need to talk about. Uh, I don't know what can be done <laughs> to change this, uh, you know. The Kyle Rittenhouse case, we just had the the ruling. He was found not guilty on all charges. If anybody's unfamiliar, he was a 17-year-old uh, young man that traveled from Illinois to Wisconsin. Uh, basically, there was a protest about Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake was, was killed by police for allegedly potentially having a knife. He did not. And uh, he... You know, it, it's just yet another killing of a black man that did not receive a trial, you know, was executed because he potentially was a criminal. And so in the Kyle Rittenhouse situation, Kyle Rittenhouse went across state lines with a Ill illegally uh, acquired AR-15 and then went to the protest that was happening and, you know, ended up three people were killed. It's a difficult thing. I don't know if I personally think that what Kyle Rittenhouse did was murder, but I definitely think that he should have been held accountable for at least, I don't understand the situation with the guns that he, you know, the argument I saw, I was watching Bill Maher last night and Bill Maher was taught Chris Christie, Republican. Chris Christie was saying, well, you can't be mad at the laws. You have to create new laws. And I think that's true, but it was frustrating coming from a Republican because when you talk about gun laws, it's a non-starter, you know? So we do have to figure out 
some conversation like adults in this country about guns. And unfortunately, when you start that conversation, it widens the gap of division in the country. So this ruling sets a dangerous precedent because what it does is it creates a situation where you can then create a scene and then cry foul when it goes awry. And now Kyle Rittenhouse is the face of the alt-right and this was a big win for them. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, to touch on briefly, uh, Democrats need to be more realistic about gun safety reform. Uh, so we need to look at other countries that have high rates of gun ownership and, and look at what they do. Uh, so for instance, Switzerland, they have a very high rate of gun ownership. Um, and we can look at to them about what do they do uh, to improve gun safety. Um, and I think that's the approach that we need to take instead of uh, fighting a losing battle. Yeah. Specifically about Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, why was he there? Um, and it, you know, when, when you introduce guns to an already volatile situation, it's a recipe for people to lose their life. And that's really, that's really sad to me. Yeah. I think the big thing is this last summer, what we saw, I'm shocked that this is one of the few deaths that we did, or the, there's three deaths in this situation. And I'm shocked that that's it. You know, that we haven't seen more because we have seen a lot of guns brought to these situations and it was, the tensions were high and we've seen it in, in Eugene and Springfield. And, and I'm grateful that there's been less, uh, loss of life, but I don't know. I don't know what can be done. I'm glad I'm not the one that makes those decisions, but this, I mean, this situation is just so polarizing and it's, again, it's going to be politicized by both sides the fact that this kid could be looked at as being a hero is disgusting. You know, I mean, I, I can look at every human being. Here, here's the issue I see. This is the thing that people just don't understand on that are are basically in support of Kyle Rittenhouse in this is that when someone like George Floyd or Jacob Blake is not treated with the same kind of dignity and respect by the police, it becomes this vicious cycle where people want to want to react. They're like, if we're not going to see these people, you know, like a, the George Floyd's and the Jacob Blake's treated with respect by police, then we're going to have to burn down the system. We're going to have to break the system. And they're frustrated because it's perpetual. It just continues and it continues. And then you have these vigilantes that are like, I like the way that the system is because it benefits me, <laughs> you know? And so, I don't know this, this, this Kyle Rittenhouse. I almost think that he's a victim in this in a weird way too. Cause he's a kid, you know, and he thinks that, I mean, it's, it's the way that it's portrayed that there's one side is evil and they're animalistic, you know, and both sides are doing it. And my biggest concern that I see is if you make concessions, somebody coming from the left, it falls on deaf ears. You'll be like, look, I understand that the Democrats do this or this. And then Republicans will go, that's right. They sure do. And that's where the conversation ends. So I think us individually, we need to look at ourselves. We need to look at some of the ways that we have backwards ass thoughts in our own heads, you know, and it's up to us individually to address those and be comfortable with admitting it and being honest about it and go from there, you know? But these situations, they invoke so much emotion 
because there's young people involved, a skateboard, you know, I was a skater for many years. So that, that I know yeah. I cannot believe though, this, this whole thing where people are like, he was defending himself. What would you do if someone came at you with a skateboard? I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't have an AR 15. That's not a, that's not an, an apt response to a skateboard. I mean, it's just insanity that people think that this is, you know, this, the, we need to look at self-defense laws and that's, yeah, a, that's I, a tough sell. So, you know, in some ways this was self-defense, but I would, I would say that it is imperfect self-defense and in imperfect self-defense, you still have charges that are associated with that. And this is an example of the prosecutor being incompetent and awful. Yeah. The prosecutor in this trial did a horrible job. And it's a very clear example of how racist our justice system is when discussing self-defense. Let's take another example, the Marissa Alexander case. This woman was in Florida and she fired a gun as a warning shot because she was in a self-defense situation and she got sentenced to 20 years. Now she is out after appeal, but um, you know, she was a black woman and, and we treat fundamentally in our justice system, we treat self-defense differently for people of color and for white people. And that's unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, the thing, you know, it's like that we've talked ad nauseum on the show. I've talked to the police about this on the show about uh, de-escalation training, you know, and how needed it is. And and there's going to be, you know, situations where police are going to have a little bit more leeway because there is training on things that they can make those judgment calls. When we start giving citizens the right to decide it's okay to execute somebody, that's a dangerous precedent. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And and like you had just said, it's obvious that there's a certain group that didn't. Don't even get me started on January 6th. If that was the Black Panthers that were on the steps of the Capitol building, we would have seen a massacre. You know, yes. and so and and everybody knows that. So it's just it's frustrating. That being said, as we approach 2022, the Democrats cannot run on everybody's racist. It doesn't work. You know, we have to start seeing people from where they're like meeting people where they're at. And so this this division, that's kind of where I'm at with it is I want to take the gloves off a little bit, at least in, in society, in these protest hot button situations. I don't know the answers to that. But on everyday life, the way that we address our our shitty uncles on Thanksgiving, you got to just keep loving on them, you know, and you got to just kind of bite your tongue sometimes because at the end of the day, you can't give them the power and the energy, you know? So I don't know. Good luck on all that. My family, fortunately, has learned not to talk about things <laughs> when it comes to politics. My dad always gets a jab in on me, and then he changes the subject. And I'm like, I, I want to comment. And he goes, no, 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 let's not talk about it. I'm like, you brought it up. <laughs> and so it's pretty fun. It's frustrated. But yeah, Thanksgiving is going to be uh, certainly interesting for a lot of families. Uh, my Thanksgiving plans are, are taking me to where it's a pretty friendly audience. Um, and, and looking forward to 2022, you know, Democrats need to run on the social safety net that's being created with Build Back Better. They need to run on climate change. And we need to ignore the Republicans' narrative and set the narrative for ourselves. Yeah, that's true. Instead of defending yourself and being the punching bag, 
yeah, talk about, you know, I don't want to get into all that. Let's talk about what we've done and what we're going to continue to do. And everyone wants to talk about Bernie Sanders, you know, his policies. They, what was effective when you talked about being part of something, what was part was effective with the campaign was when he talked about $27 was what the average donation was for a Bernie Sanders supporter. Because then what that did is it created this, this, uh, collectivism. It created this feeling of I'm part of something, you know, and, and Hillary had a, a losing strategy. Her strategy was I'm with her, you know, it's about her. And I think that that these candidates that are running both locally and nationally as Democrats, they need to build. I mean, that's what Obama was able to create was, you know, yes, we can. Yes. So they have to run on stuff that is we're going to do this collectively and I know that that resonates with people across the board when we actually can have optimism. People are craving it right now. They want to be part of something. America is so divided. We need to have a way that we can all feel a sense of pride again and a true actual patriotism. Because patriotism now is such a bastardized term. What it means is I'm going to use the American flag to ram it down your throat. Two other Americans. The American flag is now used to intimidate Americans. That was never the intent. It was used to intimidate the British. No, no. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so uh, Germans. <laughs> yes. So, hey, Kevin Cronin, thank you very much. And thank you so much for the work that you do with housing. The Spent the Rent podcast is all about uh, the underrepresented in Lane County and housing being the number one issue is something I've been addressing a lot lately. Uh, my last episode was with uh, Brian Ranstadt from Hybrid Real Estate, who just, with the help of Looking Glass, just opened a transitional housing property with nine units for uh, young adults that are transitioning from homelessness back into the working society. And so I'm doing a lot of these kind of stories about housing because it's the number one issue. And as we come up on the holidays and the coldest time of the year, you know, it's really important that people are housed and fed and all that good stuff. And so I'm also going to be doing an episode uh, in December. I'm going to be off until December 4th, and then I'll be back and I'm going to be talking to the people from shelter care. So we're going to learn a little bit more about the work that they do in our community. I'd like to just do work, you know, with my podcast, getting the the word out about if you're struggling or if you know somebody that's struggling, where to turn. So, uh, you know, what is your, your favorite resource to tell people about for if they're struggling with finances or housing or, or both, where to turn? So I'm just going to hit the the broad spectrum. It's just 211. You can call 211 to get signed up for the Oregon Health Plan. You can get called 211 to point you in where you can get on a public housing wait list. You can call 211 to get rent assistance. Um, it's certainly one of the, the, the best available resources out there. So I, I really like that one. I'm going to stick with that one. I think that's a good one. 211. Call 211 for all those answers. Uh, Looking Glass is a great resource. Catholic Community Services is a great resource for homeless people or for people struggling with finances. St. Vincent de Paul. There's a lot of great resources in our community. And, and you know, that comes with its downsides where, you know, people are like, why are we have so many homeless people come here? That may be true, but I would much rather be a society and a culture that wants to help people that are struggling, you know? And that's, I mean, we're coming up on Christmas and that's what Christians do. So, so, so anyways, Kevin Cronin, it's great to meet you. It's great to chat with you. Uh, hopefully we get to chat again. You're always welcome on the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. 
I'm going to end this with a song. Uh, this is a dear friend of mine, David Uberti, which he goes by Edward Outward. Uh, this is the song, What's So Promising. Say the man.